You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 18th of October. It's a little bit misty autumn mist this morning outside the window here in TWM but thankfully the people digging up the road haven't started yet um, moral of the story get up a little bit earlier and you, and you will beat the diggers the good news is as I welcome in Lee Motter said senior writer from the Racing Post and in a moment we're going to look internationally we're going to be talking about the Cox Plate and the Melbourne Cup and the Breeders' Cup in particular during the course of this episode. But first of all, Lee, closer to home with Cheltenham's first meeting just a few days away, the showcase meeting at the weekend. I would imagine there will be those in Cheltenham and in the Jockey Club feeling feeling quite happy to hold their heads high as they walk to work at the weekend with a, a positive reaction from the sport to the news that Nevin Truesdale announced on the show yesterday. Yes, rarely, Nick, can the Jockey Club have received as much love from racing professionals and fans as it did yesterday. And I think that love comes out of surprise. Um, as you discussed with, with Dave on the pod yesterday, there was expectation that we were going to go to a five-day festival. I had a story in the post on the front page uh, yesterday that indicated a decision was imminent. And when I spoke to people across the industry uh, for that story, very senior people within the industry, their expectation was absolutely that Cheltenham was going to go to five days, even though the Jockey Club had said it wasn't going to be a fait accompli. Um, and I think the Jockey Club deserves enormous credit. Um, although I think the Jockey Club is quite keen maybe to suggest that there wasn't huge enthusiasm within the, the Jockey Club for the, the five-day move, Senior, certain senior figures were definitely very much in favour of going to five days and they saw clear benefits in doing it. And I think you just have to look at the fact that we had this consultation process in the first place. You look at things like Brexit and the Scottish independence referendum um, over here and they took place because governments felt they had to stage them because there was such a groundswell of support behind those ideas. There was never among racing fans and professionals such huge backing for the idea of a five-day festival that a consultation process was really necessary. It only really ever got spoken about because people assumed the Jockey Club wanted to do it for commercial reasons, which I think is why there was, uh, and I'll, I'll admit to feeling the same thing, a view that the Jockey Club would go and do this anyway. And I think even if the, the feedback was pretty awful, and I'm pretty sure it was pretty awful, uh, for a five-day festival. I think the Jockey Club still deserves real credit for having listened to what people said. They could have forced it through anyway. This, this consultation process feedback wasn't in the public domain. They could have found reasons to say that we think this is the right thing to do. They've listened to what people have said. And I think, crucially, speaking to the Jockey Club in the build-up to this decision, they were very much stressing that they wanted to do this because they wanted to put a lid on the debate and say, this is what we've decided and this is where we are for uh, an indefinite amount of time. So hopefully now this does put a, a lid on that debate. Mm -hmm. 
and we still have to work to make the Cheltenham Festival better. I think that's the, the key thing. We all love the Cheltenham Festival, but anyone who was there in March will know it has issues. Some of those issues have been dealt with by the Jockey Club having tackled uh, overcrowding uh, on the race course and bringing down the, the cap on the number of race goers that can attend. But whilst we had too many people watching the racing last year, we didn't have enough horses taking part in the races. And there are issues for the festival and the wider jump sports, jump racing here to get more horses in the better races. Some of that is caused by having too many races for those horses to run it. And that's at the festival as well as across the sport. So great news yesterday, really great news. And the Jug Club deserves praise for it. But we shouldn't think that all in the festival garden is absolutely rosy. No, and I would imagine this is a conversation we'll be having several times between yeah. now and March. But we're going to cast our net a little wider now and to the, the Melbourne Cup, the Cox Plate, the Breeders' Cup in no particular order, all approaching fast. Uh, with a, a look at the, the latest intended entries for the Breeders' Cup, my conservative estimation is there could be north of 40 European challengers for this year's World Championships at Keeneland the first weekend in November, first Friday and Saturday in November. Now, um, late comers to that party may well be the two heroes from Ascot, Bayside Boy and Bay Bridge in the Mile and the Turf, respe uh, respectively. They are both co-owned. One was bred and they are both by a stallion stood by John O'Connor, who I spoke about yesterday. I've been talking to him. I asked him if he's um, quite come down to earth from uh, from Saturday's heroics yet. Yeah, it was it was quite a surreal day. We only had the two runners in the two championship races, and uh, and they both collected. It was it was um, fantastic, um, really special day. And um, when we were walking in from the uh, winners enclosure, um, I'd I'd almost forgotten that we had a runner in a listed race at Leperstown, and we just came in just to see the freeze frame, and he'd won that as well. So. Um, <laughs> So a horse called Self Belief had had won it. So it was was one of those extraordinary, extraordinary days. And, and yeah. I think it, it was a day. I think I should have bought a lotto ticket because when I got back to the airport, uh, I thought I might be just about on time for the flight I was booked on, and they actually said, "Oh, we can get you on the one before that." So jump on. Oh my word! This is this is this is this is getting ridiculous now. Um, exactly. So it was one of those days. Your your luck might not have run out. I, the, the one thing I, I observed not only was it obviously a great uh, hour or so for for your stallion New Bay, uh, or you, you bred Bayside Boy, you co-owned both horses still, but you, we might just be scratching the surface here. That's the other thing. These were not merely glorious coronations. Did you sort of get the feeling as you were, as you were driving to the airport? Hang on a minute. This could just be the beginning. Yeah. Well, he is a young stallion. I mean, Baybridge is from his first crop, and Bayside Boy is from his second. And we've known, because we've been, we're quite statistically orientated here, and um, um, Owen, who uh, does that end of it for me, Owen Fives, he's been kept telling me that this horse's stats are extraordinary in terms of the quality that he produces in terms of percentages of horses rated over 80, rated over 100, and black type performers. So we've known for a while that this, you know, he was he was going to, make a big impact as, as a young stallion and uh, now it seems to be happening it's really unfolding in front of her eyes now you clearly have a, a stud interest in in both these horses as well I, I think that we just we need to get to, to grips with whether either of them are going to keep racing whether either of them are going to go to stud in 2023 and might we see either or both at the breeders cup yeah none of those uh questions have been uh 
have been finalised in terms of of their answers. Um, either of them could go to the Breeders' Cup. They're neither of them are certain to go, um, but it's it's kept under consideration for both horses. Um, one or other of them could stay in training next year. <laughs> I, you know, and one of them could go to start. So which one it'll be, we'll we'll have a chat about that. Um, they might both stay in training next year, but I have a feeling. Might, maybe one of them will go and start go to start, and one might stay in training. And and how do you how do you determine which? I I I'm trying to work out that what what might be running through your head. It's a good question, and to a certain extent, um, you are trying to anticipate what your clients are looking for at a particular time and at a particular price point. So effectively. Uh, standing a new stallion is a little bit like producing a new line of clothing or something like that. You have to understand what people want. And uh, that's something that we'll put plenty of consideration into. And presumably, because you've already got Mark 1 in New Bay, do you want a point of difference? Do you want something slightly different to him, which I guess would be more of a Bayside boy than a Bay Bridge? I don't know. No, I think it'll be more a factor of, you know, the people who started... uh, New Bay on his way and who were influential uh, in getting him going. Some of them may be people who who won't necessarily um, want to spend the kind of figure that, that he's likely to stand at next year. So it's sometimes very helpful to um, have, you know, if you like, the heir apparent who can still be used at the original type of fee that that the, the father started at. Gotcha. So I think that's that's kind of the way we think about it. All right, then, that was John O'Connor. And he said he wouldn't answer the question. He kind of did answer the question. They're both um, certainly considered runners for the Breeders' Cup, Lee. They are, one of them will, will, will stay in training next year. They might both stay in training next year. And he and the other co-owners have got to make a decision which one is a, a likely stud, uh, a stud addition next year, if either. So we definitely got answers. Yeah, we did. And that, that is a, a big decision they faced. My hunch would be that given um, Bay Bridge is the textbook, late maturing, late developing, so Michael Stark, middle distance superstar, they will think there is more to come from that horse next season. I am certain the Stark camp would be gutted if they lost him next year. Bearing in mind, he hasn't actually had a lot of racing this year or at all. I guess commercially, he is the horse who won the only race that Bailly didn't win. So I wonder if, in marketing terms, that's too neat a thing not to not to use at the moment. I hope not. I hope he stays in training. I hope that Bayside Boy stays in training as well for, for Roger Varian, um, albeit he was a shock 33-1 to winner of yeah. the, the Queen's the second stage. And I, I wonder if they'll think, can he better that moment? And is it best to go out on a high? I hope that's he doesn't what, that, go that's out what on a high. Thought. Only in the sense I want to seem to say in training. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I mean, I thought Breeders' Cup Mile was a shot to nothing for Bayside Boy. He's been completely revivified by the by the blinkers, but he's a stakes horse at two, Group One winning miler at three in a in the one of the best Group One mile races in Europe as well. Uh, the, the temptation to 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 get him covering mares must be huge. I would have thought. Yeah. So if I was a betting man, I would say Baybridge stays in training. Bayside Boy goes to stud. But as a, as, as, a, as a racing fan, as well as a betting man, 
you'd love to see all these goals in training. And actually, one of the, the things that we seem to have going into the next flat season is a lot of very good horses hope, hope, hopefully will be staying around. Um, and to have these two uh, battling horses in would be wonderful, although they're, they're, they're a stud operation, they're a commercial operation, they have to send horses to stud. And as you say, we'll likely lose one of them, but I hope they may change their mind. Okay, Lee, well, I'm very grateful to Charlie Appleby, who's got such a great Breeders' Cup record. This looks like his squad now, and the headline here is that it is very unlikely to include Adar. he tells me. He thinks he wants to keep him for next year. So he will stay in training, probably won't go for the Breeders' Cup. The others who will go to the Breeders' Cup, Rebels Romance and Nation's Pride, who've both been strutting their stuff to good effect abroad, they are both in the Breeders' Cup turf. In the Breeders' Cup Mile Modern Games who will start nearly favourite, I would have thought, uh, in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint Creative Force. And he's wavering with Naval Crown, but probably not. Looks like Creative Force will be the one there. And then in the two juvenile races, Silver Knot will run in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, the long race. And in the short race, the five and a half that we were talking about um, last week, and we'll talk about again in a minute, mischief magic i mean that looks like a a tremendous race so those are charlie appleby's six slash seven but six for the breeders cup as things stand well i'm very conscious of the fact that our listeners in the united states of which i I know there are many will be pretty familiar with the story of the iowa bred tyler's tribe who is an undefeated juvenile who looks a horse of immense um, power he brings with him to the breeders cup not only a big chance but a, a fantastic story and uh, a really engaging set of connections as well. Um, Tim Martin is is with me now, the the trainer of of Tyler's Tribe. Uh, t- just just tell us where the story began, Tim. Uh, it began in um, Iowa. Me and Tom Lepic bought the Tyler Tribe in uh, Iowa uh, a year ago, uh, about a year ago, and uh, so we went from there and got him broke and took him to the Prairie Medals and. And um, he was doing really good, and we knew before he ran, he was a really nice horse. Uh, uh, we worked with some older horses because he was pretty much dominating the two-year-olds at the farm in his workouts. So we put him with an older horse, pretty nice horse that wins some races, and he he put dominated him pretty good too. So we we thought going in, we really had a nice horse. Um, uh, the first night we ran him, I told Tom, I said, I think after this race. Tyler was there, the grandson, so uh, he asked the stewards if we could take the picture with Tyler after the race if we didn't win. And I said, well, that's okay, Tom, but I think we after this race we'll be getting phone calls. This is really a nice horse. I didn't think – I didn't know he'd win like he did, but I knew he was a really good horse, something special. And we ought to explain why the horse is called Tyler's Tribe. Uh, the owner's grandson, Tyler, eight years old, He's on the verge of being declared cancer-free after he was diagnosed in August 2020. Uh, and uh, just tell me a little bit more about the, the journey that he's been on, and, and particularly with with re- relation to this horse. Yes, uh, he, uh, Tyler had had been on a he had cancer, got leukemia, and and when he was six years old, and so uh, Lepic, Tom Lepic, my partner, wanted to after we bought the horse, wanted to name him after his grandson that had leukemia. And he was seven then, and he had had a lot of rough battles. And so I said, yeah, that would be fine with me. So he came up with the name Tyler's Tribe. So we named the horse and got approved. And since then, the son has been 
uh, the grandson has been at every race and he really gets excited when the horse runs and he comes to the barn and pets the horse. So he, he, uh, it's really exciting for him. And, and, uh, so it, it, since then he's cancer. Yeah. I think he rings the bell on October 24th as cancer free and he's pretty excited and he, this horse really excites him. So and I'm, I'm guessing that means that for, for Tom, his grandfather, this horse is going to be with him forever. He's not, he's not a horse that's going to be for sale. No, sir. We no. We had a lot of offers uh, right after the first race. Start getting offers, and then as he went another race, another race, we started getting some really good offers. And and so I talked to Tom Lepic, my partner, about it, and he's he uh, he's like, well, I don't really want to sell. I said, Well, I don't, I don't either, and I don't have to sell, and we won't sell. So when people call us, they they kind of quit calling because we had some really good offers, and they kept saying, Well, I know you don't want to sell, but I got you another offer, and I'm like, We, we still don't want to sell. So. So they they know now the horse is not for sale. We don't plan on getting rid of him. It's a it's a, you know it's good for all of us. We're enjoying it, and then the grandson he's really enjoying it. So we definitely are not for sale. Uh, he's shown monstrous talent. I know it's Prairie Meadows, but it's fifty nine and three quarter lengths combined for five for five for a two year old, which is just just insane. I'm Tim. You've been training since nineteen eighty five. I mean, how comfortably is this the best you've trained? Do you think? Yeah, I think it's by no doubt this Tyler's Tribe is the best horse I ever had in my hands. Uh, I've had some decent horses and win some list stakes and some stuff. But this horse is just, yeah, by 59 and three-quarter lengths, in none of the, any of the races, he has not been really pressured or asked to run. The rider, every time she, uh, Kylie Jordan, when she pulls up, she goes, I got more horse left. So, wow. You know, because he... So uh, I'm sure in the Breeders' Cup will be a different story, but so far he's not been challenged. Nobody can really go with him. He's in a lope when they're running out there the first quarter and a half, and then he seems to always have a lot left in the end. And and, and, and here's the thing. I, I've been looking at him running on the dirt and from four four and a half furlongs upwards, but he looks as if he could run all day and he's only just getting going at the end of his races. I thought, God, this is going to be a cracking horse for the Breeders' Cup juvenile and keep the Kentucky Derby dream alive. And then you say you want to run him in the in the in the shorter turf race over uh, over five and a half. What's the thinking behind that? Well, he uh, I, we looked at his pedigree and checked it all all out. And uh, Sharp Aztec will run well in the uh, turf on the turf, and Impassable Woman run her best race I think on the turf. There's been some siblings uh, out of Sharp Aztec that's run well on the turf. I think there uh, I don't know how many, but there's been some. And, and this horse. I, I didn't get to, because of the story, because of the grandson, everything, I didn't get to run him nowhere going around the ground. If, and I, I hate to go out, you know, to the wolves, I'll <laughs> say, and go, and go from a sprint race to a route mile 16th. And, and it just, so it concerned me without running the horse long. Uh, I just didn't want to go for that. That's a, that's a big, huge jump. All right. So it's definite. You're, you're not going to double enter. No, I'm not going to double enter. Uh, we're going. We're planning on. We're planning on breezing. We breeze him on the turf on Saturday, and breeze him this week on the dirt, and then one more breeze on the turf uh, six days out on Saturday. They'll let us breeze again, and then we're going to go. We're going to go to the turf. We're going to take our chances for speed. We got speed, and I know there's good horses, but this horse has got a lot of speed. I don't know what'll happen if he likes the turf and they go with him. They're going to be running, and and so far he's had a lot lot left. So. 
It'll be interesting. Have you seen the Platinum Queen, the filly who won the Prix de l'Abbé? No, I heard about her. I didn't see her, but I heard about her. It's pretty nice. She's uh, she's going to be a formidable adversary for you, but I think that, that her connections will be looking back through those Iowa tapes as well, because from what I've seen, you've got an absolute beast on your hands. I cannot wait to see him in the flesh. Uh, Tim, thanks so much for talking to me. Very best of luck. Hey, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Well, that's Tim Martin, a trainer of Tyler's Tribe. He he might not have seen the Platinum Queen yet, Lee Motter said, but <laughs> he'll know about her soon enough. And Blackbeard, that, the juvenile turf sprinter, who'd have thought it's going to be one of the races of the of the of the meeting? Well, certainly not I, Nick. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, like you, I, I I've loved the the Breeders' Cup all along, but I've never particularly got revved up for the juvenile turf sprint in advance but um it, it could be a belter and who would have known who would have guessed that potentially two european horses would be uh, heading the market for that racing blackbeard and the platinum queen this tyler's tribe what a story that is five for five in iowa um and uh, whilst my heart is normally with the europeans i i would really love to see see that horse win the cox plate is much more imminent if the Melbourne Cup is Australia's most celebrated race, Lee, I think there's a feeling that the Cox Plate is its most uh, revered middle distance race in terms of um, in terms of quality of horse. Would that be fair to say? It certainly would be fair to say. Um, the 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 local Australian uh, media, many people over there, describe it as the the best two minutes in sport. Just as everybody who has a good mile and a quarter horse race describes that as the best two minutes in sport, but it certainly is probably the best two minutes in Australian horse racing. Of course, it, it gained greater prominence in this part of the world as a result of some European success in recent years and also Winx's four, four victories, record-breaking four victories in the race. And although I think this year, Nick, it's not a race that has uh, received as much European coverage as it might have done in previous years. We do have a good Cox Plate to look forward to. Godolphin, who've had such a fantastic few seasons in Europe, have also been doing very well indeed with James Cumming, uh, Cummings, their trainer in Australia. He has the star horse there, Animo, who's been on a Group 1 role. James McDonald, who we saw win on Nature Strip over here at the Royal Meeting. He's picked Animo over Zaki. They had a real set two in a recent Group 1 at Caulfield. We had the barrier draw overnight here in the morning uh, in Melbourne and uh, Animo drew really well in Stall 4 uh, around a tight track. Anyone who's not been to to Mooney Valley or watch Mooney Valley Racing. It's a tight track here on the turn quite a lot. The draw is a big deal, an incredibly short home straight as well. Animo's drawn well in for Zaki, a name who will be very well known, of course, to, to British listeners, formerly trained by Sir Michael Stout, but he's risen to many high new levels in Australia under Annabelle Nisham. He worked at the Valley before the draw. He again showed his tendency to lug in to the rail. They went into the draw saying a low draw was vital. He got a low draw, the lowest draw in stall one. That will be extremely beneficial to him so long as he, he goes from the gate and doesn't miss the kick. So good draws for Zaki and for Animo. Uh, some of the other fancy horses didn't quite get the draws they wanted. Alligator Blood and I'm Thunderstruck again. Two real fancy contenders. They're drawn out wide uh, in 12 and 10. And an interesting news line again overnight, Nick, is that Jamie Spencer of this parish will be going out to ride the Kira Ma and David Eustace train Gold Trip. Gold Trip, a former French performer who was close up in a Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. He returned to his very best form in Australia at the weekend, finishing 
in second under top weight in the Caulfield Cup. The expectation he'd be going straight from there to the Melbourne Cup. He's stopping off instead in the Cox Plate first. And Jamie Spencer, who's ridden in the past for Gold Trip's owners, Australian Bloodstock, is being brought in to ride Gold Trip on Saturday in the Cox Plate. Jamie Spencer will also be riding light infantry in the Golden Eagle at Rose Hill, seven and a half furlongs. That's on the 29th, Saturday the 29th. And if Rodrigo Diaz wins the G-Long Cup tomorrow, Wednesday, then he'll get a run in the Melbourne Cup. I've been talking about all of that with their trainer, the man who also used to train Durston, the Caulfield Cup uh, winner, incidentally, David Simcock. And this is what he had to say, uh, first of all, about light infantry. Yeah, he's he's good. He travelled down um, Thursday night um, and arrived Saturday, um, and he travelled very well. A um, couple of trips to France, probably quite good practice, but nothing like um, 26 hours it took him to get to to Sydney. Um, but we we had a video from um, from Sydney, and um, it shows him his well being is really good. He exercised this morning, and no, very happy with him. Oh, and it's a it's a it's a bold move, but it's a good move, judged on what's on the on the table. When did it when did it pop into your head that this might be the way forward? It's nothing to do with me, Nick. I'd love to take the credit for it, but basically, um, the horse was. We had a lot of interest in the horse all year um, with regards to sales um, from lots of jurisdictions around the world. Um, and then when he finished second in the John Pratt. Um, a guy called Will Bourne um, sort of put the proposal together that they'd like to buy half of him um, with a view to um, having a run in Europe and then going down to Sydney for this particular race. Um, and it worked well for everybody. You know, it was nice that we got paid and we retained half of him. And um, I get to train next year, which is, you know, which is important. I mean, this is the, this is the ultimate, isn't it? If you could design your dream race sale keep, this is this is just about it, isn't it? it it's absolutely couldn't have worked out any better. Um, you know, and and then to go and run second in the Marwa um, and put up a personal best, and um, you know, they're delighted, we're delighted, and. You know, and then um, you know, and then with with the, um, with the with the golden eagle in mind, um, yeah, it's going to be a very exciting day. To, to what extent? I mean, given he's got form over seven, got form over a mile and a straight mile at that. Um, to what extent do you think this seven and a half fifteen hundred is absolutely his optimum? Um, I, listen, probably you'd argue that a mile's where his best form is, but you know, the, the fact that he's run that he's won a Group Three on soft ground. Um, he's won on good ground and he's won one on the faster side of good. Um, you know, that bodes well. It bodes well for his future as well. The, the fact, you know, we can go places and, and not have to worry about conditions. Um, he's not a slow horse. He travels well in his races. They will go quick here. Um, and, you know, he's a strong, strong stayer. So, you know, there should be a lot in his favour. Now, I first clapped eyes on Rodrigo Diaz when he was winning a race at Kempton Park. Now, you might have to remind me what his mark was that day, but I want to say it was in the 50s or low 60s. Yeah, he'd, he'd, he'd just come out of the 50s, actually. He started off 58, um, and he was winning in the 60s. I think he went up six pounds for winning that first run, and then you saw him at Kempton, and I think that day you actually mentioned Melbourne Cup. Uh, yeah, very, very much. I've not, sort of half in jest, but I thought, I, I honestly, I don't think I'd ever expected that we were going to have this phone call, put it that way. But it, God, hasn't it worked out well? 
It has, uh, but what sometimes people don't realise is, you know, this horse probably wanted a mile and a half at two, and there isn't such a thing. So, you know, they're developing horse from a strong staying family, um, and he's got better as he's got older. And, you know, a similar scenario to light infantry, you know, you know, 50% of him was sold with a view to going and racing in Australia and, and having a crack at the Melbourne Cup. That run in the in the Ebor when he was sort of mid div, did it do what you what you wanted it to do? Did it achieve what you wanted to achieve? No, not really. Um, you know, it's it, we were drawn wide and we thought they'd go hard and they went very slow um, and we dropped in and actually we'd been riding him far more positively the two starts before. Um, and the fact he was still on the bridle throughout, that for me was a bad sign in the race because a horse that probably needs to be hard down three out, um, at least three out. All he does is stay. Um, he is quite relentless. And, you know, when others have cried enough, he'll keep going. And so you've got him in the in the G-Long Cup, which is, is Wednesday. The ground is on the, on the softish side there. Um, what, what, what are you hoping for on, on this sort of first staging post, if you like? We were, we were hoping for a good run, but, you know, unfortunately the draw's been really unkind to us again. And, um, you know, it's up to Damien Oliver where, where he finds his feet. I'd rather not be right at the back, um, but if we can be halfway back, sort of not seven wide, I'd be very happy. But it's going to be tricky. It's going to be really tough from that draw um, over a trip that will just find him out, admittedly against lesser opposition than he's raced against for quite a long time. Um but again, he's travelled down well and seems in excellent order. And will that run bring him forward? Is he the, is he the sort of horse that will need that blowout? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. He's, he, he's gone out there in great shape. Um, he's a real streamlined, good-looking big horse. Um, and, it, you know, he'll, he'll go there and we'll, we'll be doing our best. Um, we'd have just loved a draw where we could go and park up right behind the leaders. And when he cut in, you know, if they did go hard and they did quick and early enough he would keep going and he, and he can sustain us the two stand down races which have actually worked out very very well um approved if this all goes well and we do we do see him lining up uh, as we anticipate on the first of november he runs against a horse you used to train called called durston who won the caulfield cup what were you thinking when you when you watched the caulfield cup did, did he always strike you as a horse with the ability to win a win a biggie Ah uh, no we, we never really got to that stage i mean he was sold um, I owned him. He was sold to High Clear on his second start. Um, he was a very progressive horse as a three-year-old. Um, won two valuable races. I think he was second at Glory's Good one where he looked like he might win. And then I ran him um, probably when he just about had enough at the end of the season and he just emptied last furlong. But he was always a horse that trained really, really well. He was pacey, um, pacier than Rodrigo Diaz. Um, and we always thought he was quite good. We, you know, he, he was a horse that we really, really liked. Um, we were gutted when he got injured at Ascot. Um, in the, I think, you know, that was the first COVID year. Um, and then he went to Australia, and I think he went to Kiramar, and then, and then to, um, and then he went to Chris Waller. But he was always, always very talented, and always a horse we thought the world of. Uh, and David, you're not, you're not heading down under. How come? It, it just, it just the timings of everything are, are slightly wrong. You've got the horse in training, um, and it would be probably a five-day trip. And listen, yeah, I'm not probably going to make anything run any quicker, and I will watch from here.
Well, um, we'll be cheering you on. David, thanks so much. It's a, an enterprising, awesome double. Fingers crossed it comes off. Brilliant, Nick. All the best. All right, so it's Tuesday and we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, their stallion book, their excellent global stallion app. And today we're staying pretty close to home to the National Stud in Newmarket, which is run by the Jockey Club and to one of their most recent senior appointees, Joe Bradley, who was appointed a head of Bloodstock Operations in January. He was a, a graduate of Godolphin's Flying Start. He's worked at Hazelwood Bloodstock, Cheveley Park, Wentworth Grange in New Zealand, and he's in charge of the stallion roster, sales consignment and the boarding business, as well as a, a key point of contact for all clients. Joe, how have you found your time so far at, at the National Stud in a, a period of of change and and great excitement i'm sure as well yeah look it's it's a very exciting time to join the national stud uh we've just finished off our consignment at tatter souls and it was a great week to get to know clients and the staff and the farm and the horses so um everything's going great and we're really looking forward to now heading towards the december seals and the breeding season next year Obviously, the the key attraction at the National Stud, and we'll talk about its commercial potential in a moment, is is Stradivarius. Um, how can you how can you fill me in on a timeline with him and and when he's going to start uh, getting getting things done? Yeah, look, we um, we printed him at Ascot uh, on Saturday just to give fans one last chance to see him um, before he kicks off his next career. Um, so hopefully, we're looking at uh, next week of getting them from Clearhaven down to the stud. Uh, and, and starting them off. It'll be a slow process to start. We'll just get them used to his surroundings and, and we'll take it from there. Um, but the team at Clearhaven uh, and John and Phoebe Dawson, they've been incredible in their support and, and departing their knowledge on us um, to really make sure the Stradivarius settles in uh, the best it can. Uh, th- this is a horse who, in addition to being a, a wonderful racehorse, has a potential to be a, a, a massive um, showcase for everything you do at the National Stud, whether or not he is a horse that really sets people alight uh, commercially. He can do great things for you. I know that's something that you've latched onto already. Just tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, look, we, we have a, a great understanding that Stradivarius is, is a very unique horse and that his fan base spreads across the world. Uh, and that's something we're conscious of and we want to keep um, we want to keep that theme rolling through. So we will be um, launching a syndicate um, to take fans that have followed him on to his next career. And that will look like we're trying to really firm down the details. It'll take them through the process of of breeding a mare to strand the race and ultimately um, having a product at the end that we take to one of the major auction houses here in Europe. So we're, we're very excited about that. And the demand has really been incredible. My my email and everybody at the studs email have been going nonstop over the last few days since it's been announced. And we, what we would say to people is to keep tuned into our, our social medias uh, and our own website for more details on that. Um, but it's been a very exciting venture, and I think we've all talked about syndication and how it can um, it can really take racing here to the next level. Uh, and we believe that that can be applied to the breeding industry as well. So it's uh, it's really time to to stop talking about syndication as, as a product that we can use to grow uh, and engage fans and to do it. Uh, and we, we really look forward to doing that. So the, the breeding business is ju- just, has just as much potential for, for fractional and multiple ownership as the uh, as the racing business does? Absolutely, because it, it's a very interesting process and there's lots of ups and downs 
um, throughout the whole process from from um, trying to get the mare in the fall um, to weaning the fall to the firework that, that needs to be done um, right then through to seals preparation, which is a very um, interesting process for many, and, and then taken to the seals. So we feel that that, that process is something that people are interested in uh, and our, our, our syndicate that we will run alongside the commercial operation of the stallion will really give people an insight to how that works and hopefully um, what, what we're trying to do is then grow their interest further into the breeding world which will then um, uh, roll on to the racing side of things as well so it's something that, that we want to embrace and we something we feel there's a big market for and as I said we're really excited to, uh, to get things going with that and, and tell me uh, Joe what, what's the interest been like from breeders in this horse it's been it's been really positive um, look everybody's totally intrigued by the horse he's played a massive part in every racing fan and every breeder's life for the last number of years um, and we feel that now People really do recognise the attributes that he had, and the attributes that he had as a resource, which made him so successful, um, can now be applied to make him as a as a top class stallion. And at the National Stud, we, we really believe that. Um, Bjorn Nelson, his owner, really believes that, uh, and we're going to work and we're going to do everything we can um, to make that happen. And he's alongside some pretty illustrious stud mates as well. None more so than Time Test, who has got Crypto Force this year as a, a flag bearer, but he certainly was, hasn't been a one-hit wonder in, in 2022. It's fair to say, though, Joe, isn't it, that his season rather turned around in the middle of the year? It did turn around, and, and we were very happy that that, 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 that happened, although we never really uh, lost confidence in the horse the whole way through the year. But when Rocky, Rocky Gianni won the third best stakes at Goodwood, uh, it really was a breakthrough moment, uh, and he's recently been sold on. Uh, at the art sale for 575,000. So um, it's nice to know that all our people have confidence as well. Crypto Force it has been a huge horse for the stallion, one of the Bears Force Stakes. And, and we feel, and we know other people feel, that he's a Group 1 horse. So I think the important thing to remember here is that that was his smallest crop uh, in 2021. He covered a full book of 160 and, and just slightly more uh, this year. So the best really is yet to come with time test and look we've been at the seals this week we've seen it stock they uh, were received really well and as long as he continues to produce that lovely type of horse that he does uh, we're confident that the next year is going to be a really big year and we're really excited about it you, you've had a great book of mares to lope e. fernandez in his first season 134 mares covered which is a, a very strong result flag of honor uh, has his first yearlings this year and is uh, branching out with the with the National Hunt mares. But I wanted to touch on Raja Singh, who's not expensive at three grand. But am I reading these early stats right with this horse? Uh, you, you absolutely are. It's been it's been an amazing story with Raja Singh. Um, I think with Phil Cunningham, full credit to him. He has he has supported the horse throughout his, his stallion career career and continue continues to do to do that. Um, he's you know he's he's leading a first season sire on percentage of winners to runners. And uh, and we hope now that people will recognise at that level he, he stands at three thousand that he really commands more respect and, and we'll be looking to pick up a lot more mares uh, in the breeding season in two thousand and twenty three. 
Um, and just to touch on Phil, he, he, he has really supported the stallion and he does a great thing with one of Rising's runners in Little Heidi, who is named after uh, an Essex children's charity. And all the winnings uh, from her have been going to uh, that charity. I think that's close to 15,000 now. So uh, I think it's time that Phil has obviously supported the horse. He's supporting people around him. Uh, and there's a time for, for everybody to to really take Rajasing uh, as a horse that can produce a really good resource. Uh, and look, we are, we are we're excited about him as well. Uh, that was Joe Bradley from the National Stud. And I cannot wait to see what they do in terms of marketing Stradivarius and how that might just bring people a little window into the into the breeding world. Lee Motta said is still with me. At least important news from Ascot yesterday, which was their new chief executive was no longer their chief executive. Yes, important news, not necessarily surprise um, news, Nick, because Vivian Curry, the Ascot chief executive, hadn't been uh, present at recent Ascot race days. Um, a, a press release came out yesterday, a very short press release from Ascot that stated that Vivian Curry had stood down from her role in order to return to, to Scotland for family reasons. Vivian Curry was previously uh, in charge at Hamilton. She uh, landed the Ascot job to follow on from, from Guy Henderson, who left earlier this year. Um, there was no, no indication as to what the, the family reasons are, and, and we, we send best wishes to to, to, Vivian, uh, to Vivian. Um In terms of Ascot itself, it's clearly interesting. It's one of the biggest jobs in British horse race, racecourse management and administration. There'll be a lot of players, I'm sure, for the role if they re-advertise it at the moment. Alistair Warwick, the MD at Ascot, is taking on that role on an interim basis. One other thing that's probably worth noting from this situation, Nick, is that the the ITV uh, contract renewal hasn't yet been signed. Uh, it's understood that uh, Ascot has perhaps been the reason why that hasn't been signed as yet, in that I think it was felt that it was right for Vivian Curry uh, to come in first before... Um, that deal was signed, new chief executive coming in. Obviously, Vivian hasn't been at work for, for some time, so that has slowed things down as well. I think ITV will be quite keen to get this over the line and probably it wouldn't be great for the sport if if we had to wait again for Ascot to go through another appointment process before this all gets sorted out. All right, well, we wish, we wish all parties concerned well in that scenario. Vivian Curry, no longer the chief executive. Uh, Ascot, do you have some key advice for our followers this afternoon? Key advice, Nick, key advice. Well, we've been talking about um, Australia and um, I should be setting my alarm for the six o'clock Geelong Cup uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, I remember going out there a few years ago, Nick, and being told that Geelong was the sort of place that once you'd visited, you'd, you'd, you'd never forget. And not necessarily for positive reasons, but I had a thoroughly good time at uh, Geelong. And I'm sure all who will be there tomorrow will as well. It's a Geelong Cup that will be full of interest for people who know who was from this side of the world because the top weight is Serpentine, the 2020 Derby winner, then trained by Aidan O'Brien. It has to be said that as a, an Australian trained gelding, he hasn't really excited anybody so far. And I don't think he'll be winning the Geelong Cup. But I do think a horse who, again, is known to European racing fans will be winning that race. Surefire, a previous winner of uh, the King George Fifth Handicap at Royal Ascot for Rafe Beckett. is now trained by Chris Wallace, still runs in the Judmont Colours. He's been building steadily 
in Australia. Hasn't yet really fired, but he's entered in the, the Melbourne Cup. He needs to, looks like he needs to win and get a penalty to get into the Cup. So it's a big deal for him tomorrow. And I'm tipping surefire to win the six o'clock our time at Geelong, the Geelong Cup. Excellent. And when are you off? I am off late tomorrow. They're on Friday for the Manicato and then on Saturday for the Cox Boats. I'll be there just before you, Nick. Yeah, I'm, I will be joining you uh, in Melbourne next week. I will be flying Monday evening. Should be there. Um, well, I've goodness knows when that gets me. <laughs> I know I've got to be on TV about three hours after I land. So uh, I look forward to that very much. My first trip to uh, first trip to Australia of any description. Uh, yeah, I, there was me thinking I was reasonably well travelled, but um, it's a glaring omission which will soon be filled. But um, looking forward to you uh, showing me what I need to do and where I need to go. You'll have a great time, Nick. They are the best flat whites in the world in Melbourne, bar none. I can say that with absolute certainty. And um, I would say also with pretty pretty strong certainty that my favourite city in the world is Melbourne. And if you like it as much as I do, you'll have a great time. Flat white, is that a type of wine? Oh, no, Nick. Beautiful, frothy coffee. Honestly, think. have a flat white and a freond and your day is set. And then, and then suddenly I started glazing over. Lee, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. That was Tuesday, October the 18th. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.